Every time there's um, an ordination <coughs> that we participate in or witness, it's a good time to remind ourselves about the purpose of the holy life, whether as Samanera or Bhikkhu. And the goal of our practice is Nibbana, the end of dukkha, the freeing of the mind from the causes of dukkha, the mental afflictions or kilesas. It's a time to have mudita for whoever is ordaining, and there are other, to have joy that there's other people in the world who also have faith in the Buddha, Dhamma Sangha, and the path of practice, and are willing to give up the happiness of the world to pursue the spiritual life for Nibbana. And also to remind ourselves of what, what we're doing. Because if we live this life every day, it's, sometimes it's easy to become complacent or just get caught into habitual ways of thinking and acting, even though we're following the Dhamma Vinaya. Sometimes we need to wake ourselves up or renew our commitment. Whether it's just on the level of keeping the Vinaya, living the life of renunciant and not accumulate and seeking to accumulate say, wealth and the uh, worldly dhammas, practicing contentment with what we have, the requisites we have and the lifestyle we have. Or just on the level of meditation, every time you begin a period of sitting meditation or walking meditation and bringing your attention back to the present moment your body and mind, maintaining the beginner's mind, because our habit is to keep accumulating views about ourselves, who we are, even as a monk we can do this, which kind of lulls the mind into sleepiness through habit. Maybe we just assume we know the Dhamma, we know how to meditate, we know how to practice, we know what's what. We identify with certain views, attitudes about ourselves and who we are, which kind of dull the mind. So meditation and the qualities we're developing in the practice, in the right effort, the mindfulness, the stillness and the wisdom 
these require renewed efforts all the time to bring them up and train the mind in mindfulness and wisdom to cut through the habits and the dullness and the sleepiness of the mind. It's a process of awakening. So to keep developing the beginner's mind is something that all of our teachers have praised. When you meditate, treat every moment as fresh because there's always a chance to establish mindfulness where there was no mindfulness before. Bring up wisdom, develop insight where there was no wisdom before. You know, every moment there's a chance to do that. <clears throat> we can cut through our moods and views about who we are. Often we have views, I can't do this or I'm no good or we have a certain mood overtaking the mind or a hindrance caught into desire, greed, or ill will, or sloth and torpor, or whatever. The tendency is just to give in to that mood, that hindrance. But as we know from what the Buddha taught, there's always a chance to arouse more effort, more mindfulness, more insight at any moment and break through. See a hindrance as a hindrance. See a mental state as a mental state to see it as an Ichya Dukkha Anatta. Nothing is fixed, nothing is bound. And this is the nature of our practice and we've always got that chance to renew effort, gain fresh mindfulness, fresh insight. Try different approaches, investigate the truth, understand the truth better, awake and awaken to the truth. There's no, nothing fixed that whatever we experience has to be like that all the time. And the whole way we practice is one of noticing how things can change. Our human mind can change. <clears throat> and if we train it in the right way, develop the right causes and conditions where it can change for the better, there's always that chance. So to maintain the beginner's mind is a very skillful way <coughs> in practice to develop the earthworm view of things, as Ajahn Chah would say, the humbleness and the willingness to be modest, anonymous. These kind of qualities actually nourish the practitioner, we're not building up a false sense of self or ego in our experience, even as a monk. Sometimes we have an, a, a view of ourselves, who we are as a monk, which can be cause all kinds of suffering. And Jen Chai used to say, you're a Nawaka monk, you have the suffering of a Nawaka. You're a Majima, you have the suffering of a Majima. You're a Tera, you have the suffering of a Tera. If you identify just with the external, superficial view of who we are. It gives rise to expectations, desires. Want people to treat us in a certain way. Want certain things, want respect, want 
reputation, want privileges, want this, want that. We're stripping that down as we meditate. The beginner's mind, the earthworm mind, is not getting caught into the superficial view of who we are. Even monks have to be on guard for that, forming an identity, Sakaya Ditti, around who we are as a bhikkhu. Even the new Sangharaja in Thailand, who is someone who's always been interested in meditation and training, has lived with some very good teachers. One of the first teachings he, he gave he said, in a Dhamma practice, we have to make ourselves very small. That's the teaching from the most, say, powerful or <coughs> leading monk in the Sangha in Thailand. His first advice is make yourself small. It's not small with uh, the conceit of I am somebody who's no good or no barami, no merit. It's small in the sense of being willing to set aside conceit, set aside ego and attachment. You learn to live simply so we're not a burden on the laity, not a burden on the sangha. Live simply, modestly. Be one who's easy to teach, easy to train not always expecting everyone to follow our own views and opinions on things, not to be too outspoken or obnoxious in a way that is harmful to harmony in the Sangha or harmful to our own peace of mind. So all our teachers, senior monks, tend to emphasize this, the beginner's mind, the earthworm mind, the small mind. Just reflections because that's countering the tendency of the world, which is always to build oneself up. And especially as we practice, we might gain some understanding of the Dhamma, can talk a bit, can meditate a bit. There's always that danger that we feel we know. Once you know or feel you know, think you know, then there's always a chance you, your mind goes back to sleep again. It's no longer awakening to the truth because we think we know. This is why we emphasize the practice of right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration or stillness, quietness of mind. These are the qualities that we need to look beyond our superficial attachments to our views of the world and who we are and attachments to the material things around us and so on. We're learning to look inwards more deeply in an unbiased, detached way through the presence of mindfulness stillness and then developing right view, that ability to reflect wisely on experience, look at it for as, as it is in an unbiased way, so we can see the truth. So we're looking a little bit more deeper under the surface, 
maintaining mindfulness, maintaining wise reflections, so we're not always just reacting to things through our preferences, what we like and dislike, but actually looking to see what's there as it is, so that the truth is revealed, because that's what ultimately what purifies our view and brings true insight that liberates the mind. This is why the practice that's never wrong, Ajahn Chah emphasized over and over again, basic sense restraint. As a bhikkhu, we develop sati, sampajanya, based around all sense contact. That's our aim, is to be mindful as we see, as we hear, taste, touch, smell, as we experience mental objects. That's our daily practice. Keep coming back to present moment awareness and aware of what is arising into consciousness. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking. Having enough mindfulness and enough clear comprehension to understand what's going on in, in our experience. To know when you see something attractive to see that there's some pleasure arising, but not to give in to the wanting or the craving that might come up. When you see or hear or taste something unpleasant, not to give in to the not wanting, not to let craving establish itself in the mind, is the basic practice of a bhikkhu, sense restraint. The idealistic view is to have nothing in the mind, always peaceful, no issues, no moods, no mental states bothering us. But real, better is to have insight into the process by which suffering arises and to start applying the right remedy, the right techniques, You're having enough mindfulness to catch our own reactions as they're forming. <coughs> Even if it's only the moment afterwards, still worthwhile as you're falling into a mood based on wanting, desire for pleasure that will lead on to all the associated suffering of clinging and trying to get more and trying to hold on to that pleasure whatever level, whether it's leading on to, say, inappropriate behavior, breaking precepts, or just ugly behavior, following greed and attraction, or just subtle movements, mental movements of the mind, a longing for things that we like, trying to dwell on them, fantasize about them. And aversion the same, You're catching the reaction of aversion towards an experience as it arises to restrain our behavior so we don't give in to <clears throat> ill will in our speech, our actions, and not dwell on the negativity, the, the object that brings up ill will, not dwelling on it with craving, not wanting, not letting it condition the mind, but bringing the mindfulness and the wise reflection up so it's stronger 
than the tendency to craving at that point. And that's our aim. We're not trying to, or expecting the mind to be completely blank, some state that's blank, and we're not experiencing the world. You may be in deep samadhi, you might go to very refined states of emptiness, refined kinds of consciousness. But in daily life, you're still going to have disliking and liking forming around sense contact. It's enough to know that, see the process at work, have enough restraint and then enough wisdom reflecting on it, not to give in to that, those habits of mind. Not to give in on the level of external behavior, following the kalesa, not giving in on the internal behavior of the, the movements of the mind, dwelling on and holding on to kalesa. A lot of the practice is very repetitive. If you bring up the beginner's mind as you do it, then every, you treat every moment as fresh, every experience is fresh. You can energize the mind in that way. And hopefully what's accumulating is wisdom, which little by little you train in so they get, you get to know the way things are, how the processes work, where suffering arise, and what to do about it. So it becomes more efficient, quicker, easier to deal with suffering and its causes. <clears throat> How do you practice metta for people you don't like <clears throat> in this life? Then, all because we live together as a community or in, interact with laity often regularly over time, they're bound to be those people we are drawn to, those people we don't particularly get on with. How do you practice metta? It's having enough. Mindfulness, sense restraint, not to give in to ill will in our behavior, our speech, our actions, but to always relate to other people with Dhamma, with Vinaya. Having enough strength of effort, mindfulness, to be aware of the dislike as it arises, to know it as a mental object, that is anicca, dukkha, anatta, it's not self. So it may still arise and you understand why it arises based on differences of character, behavior, opinions on things and so on. But you're treating that mood with Dhamma Vinaya, with mindfulness and wise reflection. The goal maybe in the beginning is simply not to let anyone know where your where your likes and dislikes arise. You have that much restraint that they just become internalized. You know, others might not be aware. Not always successful things come out, but that's maybe our first goal. And then ultimately in, internally to even just recognize them as just passing mental states and not give in to them have enough detached awareness to let go as they're arising. Taking the equanimity and the calm and the stillness of mind is better. Not to be bothered with 
things that bring suffering to the mind. When I say not being bothered, meaning having enough clarity not to take them up, hold on to them, proliferate on them. Having enough clarity and awareness to an understanding to drop them quickly because they're mentally painful or hot. Things that are hot you can drop because they burn you. And if we practice this regularly, the basic sense restraint, awareness on the outside of our sense contact, not giving in to <coughs> the attraction and aversion that's arising in our behavior, or we're keeping the Vinaya then, we're not rushing after people we like, particularly opposite sex, wanting relationships and flirting or spending time with them not running into arguments and aversion with the people we don't like. More maintaining an evenness of our behavior based on Vinaya rather than worldly dhammas and preferences. Then internally we've got that chance to develop states of stillness, samadhi. So if you practice sense restraint on the outside first and it's just a natural step to develop it in a more refined way internally. Learning to let go of hindrances, recognize hindrances as hindrances and let them go. Not feed them, not hold on to them, have enough mindfulness to watch them come up, but let them go again. Then we have a, a chance to experience some internal stillness and clarity. How we achieve that, well, that's getting to, we have to get to know ourselves, our weaknesses, our strengths, our character. And each individual maybe has to emphasize different aspects of the practice, whether it's reflection on, say, impermanence or a super, if you have a lot of sensual desire. Emphasize metta and compassion if you have a lot of ill will, aversion. Emphasize effort and arousing energy if one tends to dullness, sleepiness, apathy, and so on. We have to get to know ourselves and apply the Dhamma in different ways. But our aim is to bring the mind internally to this place where it's more awake, more still, more bright. Because it's not giving in to the defilements, to the hindrances. Like Anjan Chah said, we have to learn <clears throat> how to get into the sala, you know, this hall. When you're on the outside, like a lot of people come here, they look from the outside, they're not quite sure what it's like inside. They can see something through the windows, but they're not quite sure. You have to know how to get into the hall, and then you can see everything inside. In this practice of sense restraint, mindfulness, leading on to meditation is learning how to get into the hall, meaning get, getting into this body and mind so you can see clearly inside, meaning the true nature of body and mind, the five candors, and particularly the body. And when the mind does calm down and there's more clarity, then to hold attention on 
the body, to look at it, investigate it. It's possible. It's possible to see the parts of the body as parts of the body rather than constantly just looking and experiencing the body as a whole based on our images, self-image and image of others and our old habits of liking and disliking. Now we're turning inside and looking at more as it is, the parts of the body based on the four elements. And the lack of beauty in, you know, in, internally, whatever aspect you look at, say when you eat your meal, just keep coming back to the whole process. You're eating that nice tasting food, but as it goes in and you chew it, mixes with saliva and then goes to the stomach. You know, visualize that, follow the sensations of the food going down, visualize it. And then reflect as you go to the toilet. You know, this is the result of having eaten and drunk. Keep familiarizing yourself with that other side of that which is attractive, say with food. The same with visual images of the way we look, the way others look. You just keep <clears throat> focusing back on the whole picture internally, you know, the body parts, the organs, the bones, the flesh, the, the blood, the liquids and so on. You keep coming back to that. You know, where is the self in any of that? Where is the beauty in any of that? To do that, you have to have calmed the mind down through the practice of sense restraint and then basic mindfulness techniques on our sitting, walking meditation, or even just quietly going about our business, doing a job of work, cleaning, maintenance, building something, pottering about, as it were, but mindfully, attention focused back on one's own candors quite possible for states of calm and insight to arise in more mundane activities. You might just have a moment when you're just sitting there or just doing something, even moving, <clears throat> and the mind just turns inwards and starts looking at the body in a more detached way. And that sense of self-identification disappears. At that moment, you may have a clear sense of this is not a person or a being. It's a collection of moving parts, a collection of elements, solid bits, liquid bits, heat and cold. That sense of it being me, mine, myself disappears. That can happen pretty much any time when the conditions are right and the mind is calm enough. The hindrances are faded. Obviously, sitting meditation is the most likely, or walking meditation. But because of this, the nature of this lifestyle, we have lots of time, peace and quiet, opportunities to reflect, develop continuity of mindfulness through our day. It could be at any time. And the mind just withdraws into itself, and it's more looking back at the body as an object, rather than without that sense of <coughs> grasp, 
grasping it as a, in the normal old way. <clears throat> now it's just, oh, there's this set of phenomena, the sensations, the visual image. There's that sense of the mind in a more detached sense, looking back. And the sense of ownership, identity is gone, if only for a short time. The more those kind of moments happen, the more sort of insight we have, even though there'll be big gaps in between when the insight seems to have gone, but the more insight we have, little by little, it's conditioning the mind. They'll come up more often. We know more or less the direction we're going in in the practice. So Ajahn Chah used to say it's like closing the circle. You have moments of mindfulness, moments of wisdom and insight. But gradually they're closing around the circle until it becomes more continuous. The path factors of Marga are gradually maturing together in the mind until it's more continuous, more sustained. There's also the sense of reviewing what we've done, what we know, what leads up to insight, what are the right conditions to develop in the practice. So we see the value of following the Vinaya, keeping the restraint, sense restraint, developing the wholesome qualities that nourish the practice and steering away from those things which are a danger to practice and not bothering with fruitless pursuits or activities, not bothering with mental proliferation in areas that just leads to more suffering, confusion, attachment. You Little by little we know both the dangers and the benefits, what's useful, what's not useful, what's supportive, not supportive. That's, that gives the chance for this circle, to sort of the edges, the rim to gradually close up as mindfulness and insight becomes more continuous and it's established in the mind. The mind is wanting to look after itself better, look after the practice clearer what's good practices and what's not good practice, what brightens the mind, what darkens the mind, what's going in the right direction, what's going in the wrong direction. You know, that kind of knowledge gradually grows, matures. So we know from you know, the practice, we are fortunate in one sense, over the years, you know, there's a whole wealth of practitioners since the Buddha, the time of the Buddha till the present, you know, different practitioners who've gained enlightenment, gained wisdom, taught, practiced, we know about them. We have the uh, enlightened disciples of the Buddha in the time of the Buddha, even now, this day, two and a half thousand years later, we still know their life stories, some of their experiences. And then in the modern era, we have many good teachers who are good examples to us, who we can recollect, Sanghanu Sati, 
recollect teachers and the qualities that they develop that we can also develop because we're all the same we all have a human body and mind that can be developed through the practice and there's no sense of a one person maybe it's just can't do it I don't have the bar of me as Sajjan Chah used to say the problem is not that the water is too deep down in the ground to dig a well and get it out problem is our arm is too short our effort is lacking we have to look that way around and look come back and look at our own effort rather than feeling that the Dhamma is too far away and we don't have the, the merit the barami to attain it we have to come back and look at our effort where can we improve it deepen it in the time of the Buddha I mean people who became enlightened. You know, some people had gone crazy, like the Bhikkhuni Patachara. Some people were mass murderers, like Angulimala. Some people had had all kinds of world, passed through all kinds of worldly suffering, family problems, health problems, all kinds of obstacles. But through um, great effort and persistence, they managed to come through them, actually attain enlightenment in, in their suffering, to gain the mindfulness and insight that can end suffering. So in that sense, there's really no one who is not capable, obviously, if one's broken the, the Vinaya, you know, committed the most serious offense, well, that blocks Magapala and spiritual development in this life. But if one hasn't done that, then everything's, all the options are there, all the potential is there to progress all the way to Magapala Nibbana in this very life. So when somebody ordains, it's a, as I said, it's a time for joy, to rejoice in the somebody's effort to go forth to practice the holy life something we can be happy about and hopefully it can all for all of us it's a time just to renew our own commitment to the practice and to doing that which is good beneficial for ourselves for others so i'll leave you with these reflections tonight